By now you've found Acts 2. That's our text for today. In verse 42, we come to part 2 of the launch of the early church. Part 1, if you will, was in Acts 1, where we discovered that the church, though probably against all odds, wasn't predicted to survive, and yet it thrived and flourished. And we considered and understood the purpose and the point therein was that it's His church. Hello? It's His church. We need to hear that again today. The church is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. It's His body. We are His bride. And we are the people of God and the family of God. Uh, That's a great game changer If any odds are stacked against us, just remember we're His. And since we're His, we follow His instructions. We run the play that He sends. We are walking as if He is the Lord of all. In Lordship, we are surrendered and obedient to His will in our lives. Of course, He gives us everything we'll ever need to succeed. And He promised the coming of His Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost where they would receive power and then would become His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Thank goodness Thank goodness they ran that play, amen? Thank goodness, though they didn't have it, he gave them what they needed to succeed at what he called them to do. And I'll remind us, God will never, ever, ever call us to do something that he does not resource and provide to us and for us what is necessary to get that done. It's his faithfulness. It's his character to be faithful. It's his nature. It's who he is. You can trust him. If God calls you to do it, he'll give you what you need to get it done. And we also discovered that he's coming again. You remember the apostles were standing there looking up into heaven as Jesus ascended? And the angel stood with them and said, Hey, fellas, what are y'all doing? You know he's coming again, and don't you have some work to do? Which introduced the whole idea of stewardship and accountability in light of the fact that the championship will ultimately belong to Jesus. So because we're in Christ in the end, hello, we win. Read the book of Revelation or join us on Wednesday nights here at Champions. We are preaching through the seven letters to the churches. And at the letter, in every letter, is the victory of Jesus that is already bought, purchased, and accomplished. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory to victory. And that's the difference. That's how the early church flourished. And now we fast forward to chapter 2 where we see the coming of the Holy Spirit in the first few verses. And the Holy Spirit baptizes them in power. And the gospel is preached. And then Peter stands up to give everybody sort of the explanation of what's going on. They didn't understand. And when he finished preaching the gospel, this one who had denied Jesus, who so famously proclaimed Jesus, 3,000 people came to faith and trust in Jesus Christ on that first day. What a great first day of ministry. Amen. The birth of the church began with the disciples, the apostles, the 120 or so up in the room in prayer, praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when he came... 3,000 people trusted Jesus and were saved. But that's not the only thing that happened. It was a great start. It's what happens next, usually, and in this case, for certain, makes all the difference. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do next. And in the text, we see some keys to flourishing in this first church in the book of Acts. Listen to verse 42. And, meaning after that many had been saved... After that many had heard the gospel and trusted in Jesus, and they devoted themselves. Stop. Devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. That word means to be steadfast, to be single-minded in purpose or desire, to continue to do something with intense effort and attention, with the possible implication, I might add, of in spite of or despite Difficulties that 
may come. In other words, this early church had a come what may, whatever happens, we're in this and we're going to run with this no matter what. They were devoted to it. They, they wanted what God wanted for them. They were going after what God had for them. And no matter what opposed them or came against them, they were devoted, which means they were not going to give this up. We, we really understand devotion, we do, in a lot of other contexts, we do. We see it played out before us. There are great stories that are told and examples that are given. Like example from last Sunday night, we talked a lot about football last week. I promise not to talk a lot about football this week because we don't care anymore, right? Most of us didn't care last week either. But, but I'll tell you one thing I just found striking, truly. It's, it's, you know, it's amazing to me. That Tom Brady, at the age of 41, did, did you see all those stories where like, he was playing college football when the other guy was in kindergarten kind of thing? Like, really? I mean, he was an old man with a cane, and, you know, and, and here all these young whippersnappers were coming up, figuring out what a football is. He'd already thrown his first NFL touchdown. It's just an amazing story that at 41, he's not still going. He's not just hanging in there. He's thriving. Some have said he's at the top of his game at an age 10 years past when most NFL players and quarterbacks are done. So, of course, I started looking into it a little bit because I thought, wow, what an example of devotion. And I discovered that he's actually a little crazy. (laughs) At least if you like ice cream, you'll think he is. So you'd say, well, he must work out all the time. Well, he does work out, but what he says is more important than the exercise part is the eating part, or more importantly, the not eating part. I looked this up. Can you, can you just listen carefully to this? No judgment. Brady eats mostly organic, local, and plant-based diet with no highly processed foods. No Twinkies. In the morning, he starts with 20 ounces of water. By the way, he drinks 25 glasses of water a day. Talk about drowning. 20 ounces of water with electrolytes, then a fruit smoothie, and after working out, more water and a protein shake. Lunch is typically fish and vegetables. Afternoon snacks consist of fruits, protein bars, and more protein shakes. Dinners include more vegetables and sometimes soup broth. A guy with that much money eating soup broth every night for supper? That's devotion. But let me tell you something, even if we could take in those sorts of things, here's kinds of things I think really emphasize his devotion. Even more notable than what Brady eats is what he doesn't. He avoids alcohol as well as gluten-containing bread and pasta, breakfast cereal, corn, dairy, foods that contain GMOs, high fructose corn syrup, trans fat, sugar, artificial sweeteners, soy, fruit juice, grain-based foods, jams and jellies, most cooking oils, frozen dinners, salty snacks, sugary snacks, sweetened drinks, white potatoes, and prepackaged condiments like ketchup and soy sauce. That's weird. It's painful. But it may be a pretty decent example of devotion in our, in our world. The guy wants to play football as long as he can. He wants to be the very best that he can while he can. And so he's devoted. He has given his undivided attention. He's focused. He's steadfast. He's disciplined. And we get that because we see the fruit of that on the football field. He just won his sixth Super Bowl championship. He needs two hands now to wear the rings the fruit of his devotion, as it were. Six. And it's incredible. 
But if we could just take that sort of thinking and move it over into the area of spirituality and Christian living and our walk with Jesus and ask ourselves, does that kind of devotion describe how we approach faith and our Christian walk and our love for Jesus? It did these. Because the Bible says that 3,000 souls were added not just in a flash, not simply an emotional reaction. There was no big band, big bang, big party, big movement, and then fizzled out. No, no. They were devoted, the Bible says. And to what? Glad you asked. The Bible will give us a list within the list. As we notice the focus of their devotion, we would first have to see that they were devoted to discipleship. Look at verse 42 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. In other words, to learning more, all there is to know really, about Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he's going to do, what he expects, what he offers. Everything that Jesus had said. Because in reality, you see, they're making more here than 3,000 decisions. They're making 3,000 disciples. And there is a difference, folks. There is a difference in a decision and a disciple. A profound distance between the two exists. Because a disciple is a learner who becomes a follower, which is a fully devoted learner or follower of Jesus Christ. Which means disciple makers, according to the Great Commission, are those who are teaching all things whatsoever he has commanded us. So see, here's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all the way. That's the Great Commission. So disciples are becoming fully devoted followers and disciple makers are teaching those to become fully devoted, devoted followers. Followers who stick by it, who are single-minded in purpose, who are steadfast in their desire, who continue to do something with intense effort even in the face of difficulty and opposition, even in the context of persecution. Make disciples who are fully devoted followers of Christ. What we see in the early church is a devotion to digging down and to deepening of the foundation of faith. The, the taking on of information, yes, but more the experiential knowledge upon which all of life is built. I will build my life. Not on an emotional reaction or a big but on the person of Jesus Christ and who He is. And of everything He said. And of all of His expectations with all of His promises. Knowing that, deepening that, establishing that, expanding that base, that foundation, is foundational to living a Christian life. It's not optional. It's essential. And they were devoted to discipleship. That's why we made multiply and now flourish as a first priority discipleship. We've said from the beginning that multiply is about teaching God's Word. About listening and learning and living by the very words of Jesus. If, in fact, we do claim to follow Jesus and make it our business to follow Jesus, if we want to be devoted to following Jesus, we've got to be willing to go to Jesus and say, what do you have to say to me? And how can I follow you and live it and do it in obedience? You see, there's a difference between fans and followers. Fans would have been among the thousands of people who heard good news and said, hey, I'd like to have a little bit of that. That's interesting. Let me add that to my cafeteria-style approach to religion and faith. 
Fans are the ones who are there when the sun's shining and the team's winning. But my goodness, if it starts raining, they head to the parking lot. If the team's not winning in the middle of the third quarter, they're disappointed, they head to the parking lot. If they just want to get home before the crowd gets them tied up in the parking lot, they just leave a little. You know what fans are, right? Fans are fickle. But followers are devoted. They stick by their convictions. They stay in the game. They keep their convictions in walking in faith and obedience to the Lord no matter what. That's what they were devoted to, to discipleship, to digging, to deepening, to establishing a foundation that would not be shaken. But notice secondly, not only are they devoted to discipleship, they are devoted to fellowship. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, number two, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. If we borrow from verse 44, which I think we can, all who believed were together and they had all things in common. The word is koinonia. It means to be closely associated in common unity, a community. I mean, keep this in mind, folks. It was tough to follow Christ in these days. It was difficult. You came to faith and trusted Jesus from a pagan background or from the imperial cult worshiping the emperor. Then you ran the risk of paying the price and the cost of friends and family. You would be a social outcast in your own community, even in your own home. It was costly to follow Jesus. It must have felt quite lonely if you're the only person in your community or in your own family who trusted Jesus. But 3,000 people who were born again on this first Sunday, really, on this day of Pentecost, were not born as orphans. They were born into a family with brothers and sisters in Christ, a part of a body with a forever Father who will never fail us, who is always faithful to us. And you know there is strength and there is power in numbers, in togetherness. We are truly better together. We're not much individually, to be honest, and we're even less if we're individual and in isolation. But together, oh my goodness, together we can accomplish so much more. I'm reminded of that old Peanuts cartoon. I, I love this one where Lucy comes into the room. Linus is watching the TV. She says, turn that channel right now. He says, who do you think you are that you can just walk in here and tell me what to do and I'm supposed to do it? Who says you can do that? She said, these five fingers right here say so. She says in the cartoon, independently and individually, they're not much. But when I put them together and roll them up like this, they become a terrible force to be reckoned with. And he says, what channel would you like? And then the best part is this. He holds up his hand. Do you remember? He holds up his hand. He says, why can't you guys ever get together like that? You see, there is strength. And power in community. And they devoted themselves to community, to the fellowship. And I believe that's one of the keys to flourishing of any church is the connecting and staying connected of the body. Not loosely affiliated, not randomly independent, not drop in, drop out, not stop in once in a while. But to be committed and to be devoted to that commitment and to that connection is critical to the flourishing of the body of Christ in any era. This no exception. Perhaps that's why Jesus prayed in John 17. The one prayer he prayed for us that stands out most is this. Father, I pray for them. Extending that prayer all the way through the ages and all those who will come after them. You know what his prayer for us was? For the church? 
that they might be one. Jesus prayed for us, and his prayer for us was that we would connect and experience community, the koinonia, the Holy Spirit of God binding us together and making us to be one, knowing we would need each other. We would need one another as we walk through this Christian life. Number two, they were devoted to the fellowship. And number three, they were devoted to worship, to prayer, to the power of God manifest, and to praise. It's in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe, that means a sense of the divine, wow, came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit, connecting the ministry of the Spirit to the ministry of Jesus himself. Demonstrating the very present power of God in the Holy Spirit. And affirming the work of the apostles and their role and foundational of the church. Being done through the apostles, prayer for, in other words, evidence of the divine activity among them. And verse 47, if we could pull that in, praising God, praising God, goes right along with praying to God. It's clear that they knew and understood that their source of success was Jesus. That the source, capital S, they understood the source of their success to be the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. A promise that Jesus had given, that he would be with them, that he would fill them, that they'd be empowered. That's the source of their success. I don't believe for a minute that at any moment after the day of Pentecost, when that little church of of struggling disciples had grown from a few dozen to 120 and then to 3,120, I don't think there was a moment in there when any of them stood back and said, boy, we're pretty good at this, aren't we? Hey, we're, somebody call Church Growth Magazine, tell them to come do a story on us and make sure I'm the picture. The, you know, nobody, I'm convinced, not a, one of them assumed or presumed to take credit for what only God could have done. Instead, I'm convinced if I read scriptures through the letters, through the book of Acts and all into the epistles, I'm convinced that they recognized the source of their success was the spirit of God at work in them. Because we're a spiritual body, and this is spiritual work. How do we think we can do it in the flesh? Or without the very presence of the power of God? And why not? Because the church, that's who we are, the people of God, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Which means we ought to be in constant awareness of our need to call out to God in prayer and to wait on His power of God through prayer. And we ought to be constantly aware of His presence and power in and among us as a church. You know, it's long been a prayer request of mine. That when someone drives onto the property of our church and opens their door and steps onto this ground, that there'd be a sense of something different about this place. When they walk through the doors and the first greeter shakes their hand, looks them in the eye and tells them welcome, there may not be a sermon there or even scriptures quoted, but there's just a sense there. Do you know what I mean? And down every hall and in every conversation and every life group and in every worship service and every sermon, I just have a deep desire for people to have a sense of something beyond themselves, a sense of the very presence of the divine. I love to hear people say there was just something different to which I love to say, can I talk to you about the difference? Because it's certainly not us. I just long for, don't you, to be in God's business and to do God's work in God's business in God's power. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So who are we kidding? Really? 
who are we fooling? Just ourselves. But this church thrived. It was flourishing because it recognized the source of its early success. And it stayed connected to the source. They prayed. They praised. They watched the manifest presence of God at work in their midst. This was a holy spiritual activity. And yes, this multiply thing and now flourish at the midpoint does call us out of our comfort zone. It calls us beyond our ability to do on our own even good things. The design of multiply, because it's spiritually based, the design to challenge and speak to the heart and stretch our faith, is designed to call us out of our comfort zone, to stretch us to a place that we need God to get us through. As I've said try to say every week, if what God calls us to do doesn't stretch us, it's not God calling us to do it. God does not call us to do what we can do without Him, knowing that we'll take the glory and the credit for what we did. But God is always calling us to live by the expression of faith and to walk in faith trusting Him. So I just want to say to every Christian right now, where is God stretching you? Where is God challenging you? Where in your own journey of faith right now do you feel just a little bit out of your comfort zone? If there is no area, pray to God and ask God to speak into your life and to work in your life to take you where He wants you to go. Because let me just tell you something, comfort It's not a part of Christianity. Stretching our faith, coming to a greater knowledge, an experiential knowledge of Christ, that's what he's called us to. And to a place where we have to trust in him so that then he can demonstrate his faithfulness to us and we can give him all the glory. The wrong question is, is can I do this? The wrong question is, can we do this? The right question is, is God calling us to do this? And if the answer to that is yes, then we give it our whole heart in faith and trust. We are devoted to doing all we can do. And we work at it like it all depends on us, but we pray like it all depends on God because ultimately the answer is both. God doesn't steer parked cars. Did you know that? Sometimes you got to put it in gear and let God take the wheel. There's a country song, something like that, I don't know. Number one, they were devoted to discipleship. Number two, they were devoted to fellowship. Number three, they were devoted to worship. And number four, they were devoted to, would you expect it, stewardship. To sharing what they had with others. To being good stewards of what they've been given by giving to others. Look at verse 44. All who believed were together. We have that, koinonia, fellowship. They had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, some of you may get a little check in your spirit. Go, oh, no, he's about to talk about communism or socialism. Nope, that's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's not talking here about the government taking what they had, but the people giving what they had. There's a big difference. And you know what else? The Bible adds a little note here to help us understand their heart in this. Verse 46, first part says this, a note about their generosity when it says, with glad and generous hearts. This isn't about someone taking. This is about everyone giving. There is a difference. There is a great difference. So the people are giving to help those with what they had who didn't have. Yes, it speaks to meeting needs, and the body ought to be busy about meeting the needs that exist in its church and in its community, and throughout the world. But this also speaks to all of our need to be good stewards of what God has given us to use. To use for His glory and for His honor. 
And listen, we cannot talk about discipleship without talking about stewardship. I'm really sorry to disappoint, but you cannot set stewardship away as a separate conversation from discipleship. If discipleship, making disciples, is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, we have to read what Jesus said about everything, including our finances. And let's not kid ourselves. We are not truly following Jesus if we will not follow him to the bank. We are not following Jesus if we won't follow him to our finances. Because listen, I I don't want to oversimplify this, but is Jesus Lord of everything? Is he Lord at all if he's not Lord of all, including my finances? But you know this to be true. Many of us know this to be true. Many of us experience this to be true personally. That the area of our finances is so often the last kingdom to fall at the feet of Jesus and to his lordship. It's powerful. It's important. It buys things we love and like and want to have and feel that it will meet a need that we have. And because it's so uncomfortable, and some of you are squirming right now, you are so uncomfortable. But I'm just here to tell you, if discipleship is something you're interested in, stewardship is a part of discipleship. They were devoted to all these things and including what Jesus said. And of course, you know, we could quote Scripture after Scripture, but I just love this one. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, what you'll wear, where you'll live. All those basics, all those necessities are so important. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And listen, folks, listen to me carefully. It's not first about finances. It's first about faith. It's about our hearts, isn't it? As Jesus said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. So this, folks, is a heart issue. And at the heart of flourish, at the heart of multiply, at the heart of discipleship and the stewardship aspect of discipleship, it's not about what God wants from us as if he's the big socialist or communist government who's come to take from us. This is about the condition of our heart and the generosity of our heart and spirit to give generously, to help others, to be a blessing, to be a part of the work of God, to resource God's vision and God's work on earth. And that's what we've given our hearts and our lives to. So no, it's not about money. If somebody says to you, all he's talking about these days is money, say, yeah, actually, I think he's talking about our hearts. But our reaction sometimes reveals what's going on in our hearts. Boy, did that squelch a few lunch conversations or not. They devoted themselves to discipleship, to fellowship, to worship, to stewardship. And I want to note quickly as we close two more. That is the frequency of their devotion was day by day, verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Because you see, you can't be devoted frequently. You, you can't be devoted occasionally. You have to be devoted day by day. And yes, the church met weekly in the context of corporate worship, but when they left, they were still the church wherever they went, and so are we. And yes, we should go to church, but not because it's convenient or when it's convenient, because we're committed, because we're devoted. Realizing that we're the church gathered today on Sunday, but we'll still be the church scattered on Monday, and the real work of the church, folks, the real work of the church 
starts when we say amen and head out into the world to be the church and to do what the church does out in the world. The frequency of their devotion wasn't once a week or once a month or once a year. It was day by day. And then notice the fruit of their devotion. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day, there it is again, those who were being saved. So the fruit of their devotion was a great church on the grow. We believe a great commitment to the great commandments, to love God and to love others, along with a great commitment to the great commission to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things. We believe those great commitments grow a great church, and a great church is on the grow. Because Jesus wants his church to grow, folks. Let's not kid ourselves. We don't worship numbers. We don't worship success in church growth circles. In fact, we believe the Lord is the Lord of the harvest, and it's the Lord who added to their number daily. So we don't spend a whole lot of our time sitting around wondering about who's not here and who don't we have. Our job is to pay attention to the process to manage church health. God's business is to add the increase church growth. But I can tell you this, healthy churches are growing churches. Churches that pay attention to the process, that are devoted to these things the early church was devoted to. They not only survive, friend, they thrive and they flourish, especially in a growing city like we live in. Because God's kingdom has a posture of advance. Did you know that? I mean, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, do you get the motion there? Gates don't advance. Gates are defensive. It's the church that's on the move. It's the church that's advancing. It's the church that's shining the light into darkness. It's the church on the move. i got to tell you something right now. There's two ways to look at church. This is a place we come to to hide from the world. To have a moment with our close friends and family who share our faith. This is an escape, as it were, from the world. There's another way to look at church. That this is actually a classroom. This is actually a training and equipping center. This is a place from which we are sent into the world to make disciples. Which do you see the church as? Is there that refreshment? Is there that encouragement? Is there that blessing of coming together? Yes, 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 yes. And then... We are dispersed and immersed to make a difference in our world. That's what a healthy, thriving, flourishing church does. But it only does it when we all understand. Multiply, it's a kingdom reality. It's a vision from God for the work of God. And I just want to close with this thought, ask you to think this for a moment. You, me, we are all the fruit of of someone else's devotion. Think about that. You, me, we. There's somebody we could thank right now. Maybe they're living. Maybe they're in the room. Maybe they're sitting next to you. Maybe they lived years ago. But you and I, we're the fruit of someone else's devotion. God took the seed of their life and sowed it into your fruitfulness. But a flourishing church still flourishes it doesn't eat the seed it sows it which means you and I the fruit of someone else's devotion are the seed to someone else's fruit flourishing is about sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping and the Bible says 
that God is not only able to supply the seed to the sower, but multiply that seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Which I believe you could simply say, at least in one aspect, the fruit of your life has yet to come in. Some of it has, not all of it. And it is our devotion to the things of God, to these things, that will determine whether or not, in fact, the church continues to flourish or fades. Can you look into your future as surely as you look into your past? And can you imagine that someone who someday sits in a place like this, maybe in this place, and when asked to think about whose life and devotion produce their fruit, will think of you. They'll think of you. Even if they don't know you, they'll think of you. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that the truth of God's Word is both encouraging and uplifting to you. If you'd like more information about our church, service times, or locations, or if you have a question about what you heard today and you want to connect with someone, I want to encourage you to visit us on our website at championforest.org. Have a great day and God bless.